Well, 2017 is drawing to a close, and with it, the close of a year of Reformation celebration. We've spent the last 12 months remembering Luther and Calvin and all the other great heroes of the Reformation period and their recovery of the biblical gospel. One of the less-known figures of the Reformation, however, was Matthew Zell. Matthew Zell was one of the four leading Reformation figures in the city of Strasbourg, along with Martin Bucer and others. Now, Matthew Zell was a faithful, godly, courageous, and in many ways extraordinary man from whom we could learn a great deal about the Christian gospel and the Christian life. But in this episode of the Centre for Christian Living podcast, we're not going to do that. We're going to learn instead from the example of an equally faithful, godly and extraordinary person who was married to Matthew Zell. Hello, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to episode 11 of the Centre for Christian Living podcast coming to you from Moore College in Sydney, Australia. Here at the Centre for Christian Living, we strive to bring biblical ethics to everyday issues. And in this episode, we're going to take one last fond look at the Reformation era and what it can teach us about the challenges of Christian living. And in particular, we're going to be looking at the life and writings and example of Catherine Zell. Our guide will be Jane Tua. I'm Jane Tua. I serve on the faculty of Moore College and I lecture in ministry and mission, church history and New Testament. And I'm the director of the Priscilla and Aquila Centre. What is that? Tell us, uh, tell us about the Priscilla and Aquila Centre. Well, one of the official values of Moore College is gender complementarity. And so this centre assumes a position of complementarianism. And the centre is really trying to look more seriously and creatively about really the application end of complementarianism. And in case you don't know what that long word complementarianism means, it means... That men and women are created equal, but at times there will be um, differences that were created, like gender is a gift, and at times in the home and the church, those um, there's good reasons for those differences. And God has made us with differences for um, the sake of building his church and extending his kingdom. But let's turn to Catherine Zell. Who was she? Um, a German woman. So she was born and raised, lived all her life in Strasbourg. And she grew up in a religious home. And then when Luther's tracts became um, available in Strasbourg, she started reading them. And um, through those tracts, she became convicted of the Reformed faith and God saved her. Was that unusual? Were there many women who were, as far as we know, hearing about the Reformed faith, responding to it, becoming Reformed evangelical Christians? Yeah, there was a number of women. Um, many of them we know, I guess the ones we more commonly hear of were the women that were in convents. So because we hear about Martin Luther's wife and some others who used to be nuns, Catherine Zell was never a nun. And so it's probably more unusual that we hear about someone that was never in a religious order. But yeah, um, God wasn't just saving men in the Reformation. There was many women that were saved as well. But we don't normally hear their stories because we don't have things that they have written um, by and large. But with Catherine, we do. You say that she was in Strasbourg. That, that was a significant town for the Reformation. Yeah. In, in what sort of ways? So it was significant in that it was a free city, so people had quite a lot of religious freedom. So it attracted um, Protestant thought, even like radical reformers as well, not just the mainline reformers. Um, but it also was a sizable city, so it was a trade city 
and um, it had the printing press in it. And so um, Luther's tracks and Melanchthon tracks, they were able to be printed easily, quickly, cheaply and distributed um, throughout the city. So those ideas, those reformed ideas, um, got out there and got out in people's hands and in people's hands like Catherine. Catherine read them and she started, she, she went along to the cathedral where Matthew Zell, her future husband, was preaching and Matthew had started reading Luther's tracts as well and he um, got changed by them and he ended up preaching um, reformed doctrines because he ended up believing that. So he was a, he was a priest, he was um, a priest at the cathedral and, um, yeah, he hadn't been there very long. He used to be somewhere else, came to Strasbourg, read Luther's, read Luther, and, um, yeah, they ended up getting married. She was a member of his congregation. You say she married Matthew Zell, the priest, which yeah. for us is no big deal, though. She was in the congregation, they got married. Mm. But, of course, for them that was a big deal, right? It was a really big deal. It was a really big deal also not just that it was, you know, Catholic clergymen getting married and they weren't allowed to get married, it was also one of the first um, clergy marriages and a really high-profile clergy marriage. So most of us have never heard of Matthew Zell, but he's a really famous um, preacher in his day and he was one of the key, um, there's four key guys in Strasbourg and he was one of those four key guys. And so he was, um, yeah, big name in his day, big name in the Continental Reformation. And so... Him being married actually was, you know, he faced um, being expelled from, expelled from the church um, and Catherine being married to him, she faced also and she received not just criticism from the church hierarchy but also a lot of lay people also weren't really convinced that clergy should get married. And so um, a woman who was not an, who hadn't been a nun and was from a respectable family She's like the first woman that did that in Strasbourg. So it wasn't an easy thing. And also the marriage is fascinating because I think we often when we're thinking about the Reformation, we think about these guys like Luther, Butzer and others who they got married, they faced, um, you know, in a sense, persecution for doing that. But actually we don't necessarily think about the women who who married also and that they had firm theological convictions for getting married and um, they also faced um, flack for doing it as well and they weren't passive recipients in these marriages um, well Catherine certainly wasn't when you read her writings you can see that she's well thought out theologically about marriage and also the marriage that she had with Matthew was one of of, of deep love as well you say that we have some access to what Catherine thought and felt and so on because some of her writings survive. Mm. And one of those writings that you write about in this article has to do with her marriage, mm. a, a kind of apologia or defence yeah. um, of, the, of the marriage and of her husband. What was her defence and what did she say in that letter or apologia? Yeah, so just well, just before that letter, she had actually there'd been some private correspondence between her and a bishop and others defending her marriage. And then... She ended up deciding to write a public letter because to defend is actually defending clerical marriage more generally really is what it does. She says that actually if it just was, you know, the criticism was just, you know, concerning her and Matthew that she wouldn't have, you know, written. But she was concerned because people started to believe the lies. There was a lot of lies that were being spread about Matthew. Such as? 
um, that he abused her, that he um, um, killed himself in remorse, that he'd had a um, an affair with um, their, um, a servant girl who worked in their house, all these um, lies and slander. And so, and she saw that people were being persuaded to go back to um, Roman teaching and she didn't want that and she wanted to make clear actually what was happening not just in her marriage but also um, the validity of clerical marriage more generally as well. And we see that. We see that she does defend Matthew but also so much, um, um, I guess, the letter is so much stronger in a sense because she defends clerical marriage more generally. Now, Catherine Zell's defence of clergy marriage was not just a defence of her husband, but also a critique of the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church in this area. Because many clergy, although not allowed to be married, had mistresses or concubines who lived openly with them. And in order for this to be tolerated by the church authorities, they paid a tax. They paid a financial settlement to their bishop in order to be allowed to continue to have someone living with them, a housekeeper, in inverted commas, who was effectively their de facto wife. So Catherine not only defended Matthew, she also critiqued the corruption, the financial corruption, of the Catholic Church in this whole area. But that's not the only thing she did. But she also, theologically, brilliantly, she makes it clear that clerical marriage um, shows that it's a priesthood of all, sorry, clerical marriage allows like basically the priesthood of all believers. It's not a special class of clergy and then, you know, the, the laity, are, you know, a second second rate or whatever, but actually clerical marriage shows that actually everyone is all the same. Marriage, um, non-marriage doesn't make you, you know, more special, more um, sanctified in God's eyes. Another thing that clerical marriage shows clearly is also justification by faith. It's not these um, special vows and these special things that a priest has to give up it's actually clearly justification by faith. It doesn't matter if the priest gets married or if he doesn't get married. It's a Christian freedom issue. Um, but, yeah, so it, clerical marriage actually was a, was the most physical demonstration of the, um, the teachings that were happening during the Reformation, justification by faith and things like the priesthood of all believers. So it was almost like an embodiment or an illustration mm, yeah. of some of these key doctrines. Yeah, exactly. It, it definitely was. And the thing is that there'd be some priests that may have accepted some reform teachings, but they may have been quite guarded in their preaching and everything. And so you, you, you still couldn't really tell where they were at. But once a priest got married, um, there was no denying where what he thought about um, clerical marriage and um, what he thought about justification by faith and priesthood of all believers and things like that. So, yeah, it was the most it was the most clear demonstration of um, basically the changes that the Reformation brought in in terms of sexuality, in terms of domestic life um, and marriage, yeah, the freedom that it brought. Do we have much sense of what sort of marriage they had? Yeah, we do. We do get a sense because... We have, um, well, we have it from Matthew's side, but we also, I guess my concern, I was looking at Catherine's side in her letters and because she mentions Matthew a number of times, so these three letters I was looking at in her artic- in the article, um, one of them is a defence of their marriage and then one of them is actually the eulogy at Matthew's funeral. And so they're very, very personal. And we see that she describes herself as Matthew's helper 
in you know life and ministry and work and home in all aspects. So Matthew and Ka- Matthew and Catherine had two children who both died in infancy, and so in many ways Catherine was in a very unique situation. She was more freed up than some of the other Reformation women, and um, we really see through the letters that. Um, yeah, this close partnership. And at one stage in, in the letter defending her marriage, she, um, when that, these accusations that he's had an affair and um, these other things abusing her, she says we in all our marriage that they hadn't been married very long at that point, but even still they'd been married for a couple of years. We've only been 15 minutes apart. And, yeah, there's strong love and, um, yeah, this strong sense of partnership and respect. But um, also, though, that she's very much... Um, got her own mind and a strong independent mind as well and we see evidence that that is potentially influenced by her upbringing and that her parents really encouraged her to have independent thinking as well which helped in God's providence her being um, living in the time that she was and standing up to false teachers and saying what she thought um, and being really convicted of the truths of the Bible and yeah, not being afraid to say them to others. Some of the people she wrote to and encouraged were other Christian women. And one of the letters you examine is a letter to a group of Christian women in another town who are undergoing a very difficult circumstance. Can mm. you tell us about that letter and how she encouraged them? Yeah, so those those women, that, that town, they basically got converted through Protestant preaching and through really through this one man. And that man ended up basically getting expelled from the city so as an act of um, solidarity, the many men of the city walked um, out the city out of the city with him past the city gates. And though by the time they got back, um, the armed forces um, patrolling the city, they refused to let the men back. And so those men ended up going to nearby Strasbourg. It was a city not far from Strasbourg. And Catherine Zell and others housed them for weeks and weeks um, and fed them. But the, the women staying there, and it's easy to think, oh, the men, um, you know, they weren't allowed back home. They were suffering persecution because they were out at Strasbourg. And that is true to a certain extent. I mean, they were looked after by, you know, reformers. But the women, actually, they suffered persecution um, and suffering um, from the hands of the, um, the forces that were um, patrolling the city and without their husbands and other men in the city. And so Catherine writes them a letter encouraging them in their situation and she makes it clear in the letter that they might actually die for their faith. And so it's a very realistic letter and basically she says the way you get through this situation, the, the, the way you cope through this situation is to keep on meditating on God's word. So she says that but also all the way through her letter she has um, allusions, references to God's word all through her letter. So she's actually, in a sense, meditating on God's word all through her letter, and that's what she's urging the women to do, to really have an eternal perspective of things, um, yeah, and that it's actually going to be worth it. And she encourages them. This is an, an, another thing that kind of changed in the Reformation. They didn't have um, – she, she's not encouraging them – to say have the um, to follow Mary as an example, she encourages them to have Abraham as their example, as a man of faith, and so she tells them to put on manly the manly courage of Abraham. But basically, I mean, obviously Mary was a woman of faith, but it's interesting that 
um, you know, it's not not so much a Roman idea, but actually it's a very Protestant idea. Abraham, um, a man of faith and um, our ancestor in that sense. And it's fascinating that right early on in the Reformation, you get this letter from a woman to a group of women and she's saying actually the example to follow is Abraham. So gender wasn't an issue. It was actually that, you know, this really obvious example of a person of faith. So back to Catherine Zell and Jane Tua in just a moment. In the meantime, three quick things I want to tell you about. First of all, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, click subscribe, and you'll get all the episodes delivered to your device. Uh, While you're there, leave us a review and a rating. Uh, For some weird algorithmic reason that I don't understand, the more ratings and reviews that are there on the site, the higher it rises up in the rankings and the search results and so on, the more people will see and hear about the Centre for Christian Living podcast, and the more people will listen and subscribe. So if you can leave us a review or a rating, that helps everyone enormously. And the third thing to tell you about, of course, are our book specials for this episode. I've got four books to tell you about very briefly, written by four daughters of the Reformation, four evangelical reformed women who've written four outstanding books that you can benefit from. The first, most appropriately, is one you've heard about before. It's Kirsten Burkett's little book, The Essence of the Reformation, a fine, brief, concise, and warm-hearted summary of what the Reformation was really about, the key figures, the key personalities, the key historical movements, and the key doctrines. Kirsten Burkett's Essence of the Reformation, an excellent Reformation book for this Reformation year. The second one is God's Good Design by Claire Smith. It's really about the subject we discussed earlier, complementarianism, that is, the relationship between men and women and how we understand the differences between men and women in God's good design. In Claire's typical fashion, it's very clearly written, it's very easy to read, it's very lucid, and it unpacks all the significant Bible passages that relate to this subject. It's really an indispensable book if you want to think through the issues of men and women and how they relate. That's God's Good Design by Claire Smith. The third book is by Lee Carter. It's called Letters to Emma, and it's the story of Lee's journey of grief following the death of her husband, Paul. It's a very moving and beautifully written book, and it helps you to understand not only what it's like to go through this kind of grief, which is a wonderful thing to understand in order to help others and in order to be prepared for grief ourselves, but it's also an outstanding testimony to the faithfulness of God in Christ in these in these moments of grief. It's a wonderfully written little book, Letters to Emma, by Lee Carter. I think you'll enjoy it, and it would make a very good gift. And the fourth book is Together Through the Storm by Sally Sims, A Practical Guide to Christian Care. This is really a book about what some people call pastoral care, that is looking after and encouraging and comforting and taking care of people when when life gets tough. And Sally has written a book that is full of biblical encouragement as to what it means to really care for someone in a Christian way and lots of practical advice as well about how to do that gained uh, through many years of experience. So those four books are all available as usual at the special Matthias Media site, matthiasmedia.com.au slash ccl. And you can go there and get all those books in time for Christmas. But back to Jane Tua and the story of Catherine Zell. Catherine and Matthew's marriage was a very happy and fruitful one. But it ended in 1548 when Matthew died. And at his funeral, 
Catherine took the somewhat unusual step of stepping forward to speak. So Catherine spoke and she wasn't expecting to speak, but she did speak. And we have a record of that, which is brilliant. But what comes out really, really clearly, which is a key thing in the Reformation, we see this with, we saw this with Martin Luther as well, and he had died before Matthew Zell, is that um, Catherine actually in her eulogy, she, she says a number of things, but one thing she talks about is the details of Matthew's death. And it comes out clearly to us that she does this because she wants to make clear to her hearers that Matthew died um, what was known in the Reformation as a good death and Martin Luther died a good death. And what that means is that there's they didn't call a priest, you know, there's no um, last rites and um, intercession, intercession of the saints and things like that. It was just her and Matthew at their home and he died and he and they were just praying to God. So that was what was known as a good death. And they wanted those, um, so, so, so Martin Luther's good death got um, published, description of that, and also Matthew Zell's did as well. And so the hearers at the funeral, but also other people in Strasbourg and more broadly would have seen this good death. And that's a real vindication of the Protestant cause that actually in the end they didn't give up. Um, it was still justification by faith. Um, and so she, she explains that you could read it and think, why is she going into all these details about they thought he was going to die and then he didn't die and they were praying and then, he, you know, the next night he did die, he got the, the pains again. Um, but it, it makes complete sense um, when you realise actually that's a good death and there's a woodcut. You can see it in the British Museum and there's um, other copies as well of Matthew Zell's good death. So that's that's one thing that she does in her eulogy. Her eulogy is, is quite long. She also she she basically summarizes um, what Matt, she she exhorts the congregation. So Martin Butzer has preached. He did the funeral. He's the man that also married them as well. So he's there at the beginning and at the end of their their marriage partnership. He preaches, but um, Catherine makes it clear that she is not preaching, but she she wants to say a word. And um, she wasn't expecting to say a word, she said, but now she feels compelled to. And she exhorts the congregation to not forget um, what Matthew, their shepherd, has taught them. And what she does is she really basically summarises the gospel and does this kind of biblical theology really of, yeah, of the gospel. And then she talks about his good death. And then at, towards the end of her eulogy, um, she really exhorts the young people who are listening. And the reason why she does that is because Matthew was really, really worried that the next generation basically were, were going to lose the gospel, forget the Reformation teachings, and that um, Strasbourg, Strasbourg would be lost. And sadly, within um, a very short time after Matthew's death, a lot of the churches um, had Roman clergy in them. So things changed very, very quickly. And people like Martin Butzer they ended up getting thrown out of Strasbourg and under um, the kindness of Thomas Cranmer, he, he found refuge in England. So in, in your reading and research into Catherine and her life, what has stood out for you most about her as a Christian? What stood out for me most um, in, in Catherine's life, her being a Christian, being a Christian woman, or being a Christian generally, I guess, is that she made the most of the situation that God had placed her in. So she had a good but basic education and she used that. She got married. Um, they had two children. They sadly died, but she wasn't defined by that. 
but she found herself in a very unique situation being married to a high-profile reformer in contact with a lot of other high-profile reformers, Calvin, Zwingli, Butzer, Luther and others, and she learned from them and she wasn't afraid to engage with them. Like She challenged Luther at a point, um, we've got record of that, where she disagreed with him and um, she's just very open and honest. So I feel like even at times when you read Catherine and you feel like maybe you might disagree with her, I feel like you can trust her because she is saying what she thinks. She had a real concern for Christian, Christian um, brotherly, sisterly love and at times had like Luther and Butzer and others disagreed because of theological importance. And so she seemed to emphasise more love. Um, but you can still see where she's coming from, a, a great Christian piety and a concern for Christian brothers and sisters. And her making the most of her situation is also seen in the fact that she writes a lot of letters she writes letters basically for the sake of other people and for to help them keep growing as Christians. We see that with the suffering women. We see that also with her being concerned that people are returning to the Roman church and having confused ideas about sexuality and marriage. But we also see it in other things like there was this hymn book and she recognised that songs are a brilliant way to teach people um, theological and biblical truths and it was a quite a large hymn book, and she thought, well, actually, that's that's actually quite expensive for people to buy. So she edited it and um, made it into five smaller hymn books, so it was um, easier, cheaper for people to buy. And so things like that, she she used the resources around her, and she made sure other people got those resources. So got hymn books, um, got these letters, which were public letters, and um, yeah, she wasn't afraid to say what she thought. So, yeah, she would have been a fascinating woman to meet. I mean, in a sense, when you read her letters, you feel like you're meeting her, you feel like you're getting inside her head. And so I guess she's been a challenge, an encouragement to make the most of the situation that God has placed me in and also um, just be a woman of integrity because, sure, she doesn't get everything right, but she says what she thinks and she tries. This comes out again and again in her letters she keeps coming back to God's word and she's she's obviously soaked in God's word because she references and uses it, has allusions to it all throughout her letters. So she's not just disagreeing with the bishop for the sake of it and there's no argument there. Her argument keeps coming back to scripture and she challenges um, some of the um, the papists, some of the Romans, um, basically saying to them, you can't show me where clerical marriage, for example, is wrong in um, scripture. So she, she, um, yeah, she, she comforts and encourages people with scripture and she also exposes um, the false teachers with their lack of using scripture. We started off our conversation by just chatting briefly about the Priscilla and Aquila Centre and men and women being different and complementary in God's design. What is it about Catherine as a woman in particular that, you think helps you to live as a woman, a Christian woman? Well, I think she definitely um, rejoices in being a woman. I don't think there's any evidence that she's trying to be someone that she's not. She's not trying to be a man. She recognises throughout um, different parts in some of her letters, recognise God's good order in men and women. Um, but recognises their partnership together as well and the role that women have in that. 
And we see that clearly also in the um, letter to the suffering women. And um, so I guess what encourages me with her writings is that she recognises God's good order um, in marriage and in the church and in life, in ministry and working together. And she recognises partnership between men and women in teaching others God's truth and in getting the gospel out and in her case, the, the reformed teaching. Well, that's about it for episode 11 of the Centre for Christian Living podcast. Uh, please get in touch and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at ccl at more.edu.au and ask any questions or give us some feedback. We really do like to hear from our listeners. You can also check out our website, which is similar, ccl.more.edu.au. You'll find lots of material there. You'll find video and audio and text from our past public events on a whole range of topics. And you'll find some details coming soon anyway about our public events for next year in 2018. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.